Okay, stand by. Broadcasting from the Cruise Radio Studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, I'm Matt Basford. And I'm Doug Parker. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and sign up for our newsletter at cruiseradio.net. On this show, we'll talk to a gentleman who was once a navigational officer aboard the SS United States. Maritime attorney Jim Walker will talk to us, and we'll get a review of the Explorer of the Seas by listener David Stern. But first, Stuart Sheeran, the cruise guy, is here. Hi, Stuart. Hey, man. Hey, Doug. Hey, man. Let's get right to it. Royal Caribbean announced that they're going to be upgrading uh, a lot of their ships. Now, is this an industry first to be upgrading so many ships at one time? And uh, it's the whole fleet, I understand? It, it is fleet-wide, and no, it's not the first time. Uh, Holland America actually uh, did something like this. Uh, Carnival has done, uh, you know, something close to that, Yeah. Uh, you know, as far as the update. But uh, Royal Caribbean is uh, going to be spending about $300 million dollars between now and 2014, which is the next time they're going to have a new ship hit the water. And what they're going to be doing is they're going to be taking a lot of the uh, very uh, highly acclaimed features of the Oasis-class ships and making them more uh, available on the other ships. Um, They're going to be expanding the Wi-Fi. They call it pervasive Wi-Fi. We still don't really know what that means. I mean, we know what pervasive means, but... um, from what I'm told, that the Wi-Fi, instead of just being in hot spots on the ship, is just going to be ship-wide, mm. which is what a lot of most other ships are already at. Sure. They're going to be bringing in uh, iPod docking stations as far as uh, some of the additional amenities, but they're also going to be bringing in a lot of the, the dining features that were, were so you know, very popular on Oasis, uh, uh, Rita's Cantina. Um, they're going to be bringing in uh, Chops uh, Steakhouse to yeah. all the ships. So point is all the a lot of the things that they uh, LED screens and uh, you know some some other cool features so it'll be it'll be nice out of Port Canaveral the Disney dream is on fire figuratively speaking of course well if, if you remember we, we talked about this back in February after uh, Disney dreams first month mm-hmm. and we were looking at the inventory of the ship and it just it was flying off the handle I mean you couldn't get an inside or an ocean view cabin up until June and, uh, I mean, essentially for the rest of the year, uh, I mean, you, you can't really get on the ship for less than $1,500. Oh, well, $1,500 for a Disney cruise, well, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of money. That's for three days. <laughs> that is a huge amount of money. And what, what's amazing is that um, I, I believe they've, they've set a record as far as occupancy of the ship. So uh, for our listeners who may want to book Disney Dream, any advice for them? Well, it's, it's book early because... The problem is the cabins that can that, that can accommodate three, four, or five are very hard to come. And, I mean, people are already looking into March, April, May of next year. Uh, it's just it's just astounding. Let's go out west to Houston. Uh, cruise lines reject Houston as a cruise port. Is that because it's too close to Galveston? Well, Houston, you know, Houston came onto the scene back in uh, 1997 uh, when – NCL decided to uh, bring one of their ships out there, and they resurrected the uh, Texarabian itinerary. Um, shortly thereafter, uh, Carnival, um, Royal, uh, um, Princess, they, they, they all joined out there, but instead of going to the Port of Houston and joining NCL, they actually went to Galveston. And the reason for Galveston is it saves a lot of time, fuel, and money uh, getting in and out of the Gulf of Mexico. So NCL left Houston uh, not to return, and you know Galveston was more of a, a resort area, the hotels, the restaurants. It was something a little bit more vacationy 
again, not to mention that it was a lot closer to the ocean. So, you know, Houston has been trying for years, trying to get another cruise line. Uh, they sent out uh, 27 uh, requests for proposals to all the cruise lines, and not one uh, responded. How far is Houston away from Galveston? From what it's, I remember, it was about 40 or 50 miles. It's so upriver, right? It's, or north? It's just, it's farther north. Yeah. And it's it's inland. Yeah. Okay. Where, you know, Galveston is, is very close to the coast. Right. You know, the, the port is just right off the coast. And it's just easier for them to get in and out of the Gulf of Mexico. In moments, we're going to talk to a gentleman who was one of the navigational officers aboard the legendary ocean liner, the SS United States. Stuart, can you share with us a little bit why this ship was such an industry leader at the time? Well, I mean, it was a, a you know passenger ship. And at the time, there was a lot of secret military uh, technology that was utilized, uh, you know, in this ship, um, you know, during the wars. And uh, it, it, it's still today, I mean, it, it still holds, the, it is considered the fastest ship to ever cross the oceans. Right. And uh, it's pretty exciting. But, uh, you know, the, the problem is, I mean, the ship was built in 1952. Uh, it's been laid up since 1969. Uh, at this point, it's, it's a 59-year-old you know, ship. And you know, it may recall, NCL actually owned the ship and, and just recently sold it, uh, you know, to, uh, to the Conservancy Group. And uh, it's, but, uh, you know, the problem is to, you know, NCL never had any intention on bringing the ship online. They essentially, uh, I, I believe they, they, they did it to block other cruise lines from uh, getting uh, their hands on a U.S. flagged, U.S. built ship in order to, you know, create competition for them in Hawaii. But the reality was to bring this ship, this ship is, is essentially gutted. And in order for them to bring the ship up to sailing speed, you know, uh, into, into sailing condition, I mean, they would have had to spend between five and seven hundred million dollars, which is the cost of a brand new ship. And you know, you can bring the ship back, you know, to sailing condition, but in reality, you know, to, to, to get people to sail on a, a ship that would have been 60 years old, it's, it's a hard sell. No matter what they did to the ship, for them to make this, you know, ship uh, even a floating hotel, I mean, they're going to have to invest hundreds of millions of dollars. And up until this point, no one's been willing to do it. All right. When it comes to the world of cruising, he is the omniscient Stuart Sheeran, the cruise guy. <laughs> Have you been dreaming lately about a romantic tropical cruise to the Caribbean? Cruise one. Or how about a breathtaking scenic cruise to Alaska? Cruise one. Or how about the Mexican Riviera? Or Cancun. Hosner. Or New England. Or Canada. Or Italy. Or Greece. Or the Far East. Or how about a cruise around the whole world? Cruise one. Got a dream vacation for you. Send you on your way. Cruise One, Cruise One has more than 550 cruise specialists nationwide ready to help you plan your dream cruise. And speaking with a local Cruise One expert is as easy as calling toll-free 1-800-CRUISE and the number one. That's 1-800-CRUISE-1 or find us online at cruiseone.com. Each episode, we give you Porthole Cruise Magazine's Pick of the Week. If an upcoming cruise has you leaving or visiting Charleston, South Carolina, you'll probably want to make the most of your Southern-style meals. 
If that's the case, make your way to Sullivan's Island, where you can find Poe's Tavern. This restaurant pays homage to the spirit of Edgar Allan Poe, as does the menu items of fish tacos, burgers, and more. For example, there's the Telltale Heart, which adds a fried egg, applewood bacon, and cheddar cheese to either a burger or chicken sandwich, as well as the Black Cat, which includes grilled onions, Edgar's drunken chili, applewood bacon, and pimento cheese. And Annabelle Lee adds a Charleston-style crab cake with fresh vegetable remoulade sauce. Check out posetavern.com for more info. Have a question for the experts? Or would you like to talk about your cruise or vacation experience, good or bad? Email comments at cruiseradio.net. Our next guest was one of the navigational officers on the bridge of the SS United States, the largest ocean liner constructed entirely in the U.S. and the fastest ocean liner to cross the Atlantic in either direction. He's had quite the interesting life, and he's written all about it in his book, One with the Sea, an inspiring rags-to-riches saga of the son of an Irish immigrant. Richard Daniel O'Leary, welcome to Cruise Radio. Good evening. I'm glad to be here. Let's start right from the beginning. Tell us about your childhood. Well, I, I was born in Auburn, Maine. I'm calling you tonight from Ogunquit, Maine. Yeah. And my father was an Irish immigrant and uh, basically illiterate. And he came here alone when he was 19 years old and worked in New York, Boston, in the woods of Vermont. And uh, so I grew up quite poor. What year was this? This is era? 1932 I was born. Okay. And we grew up very poor, but we always ate and... Uh, it was not a dysfunctional family. It was the opposite. Especially my father was a saint and a hard-working person that cared only for his family. And I came from that environment, and uh, when I got to high school, which I had done pretty well all the way, uh, I didn't know if I was going to be able to go to college or not because I didn't have any money. But I worked for a year in a bakery and tried to find some place that wouldn't, uh, wouldn't need money. And there were, there were two I was interested in. One was the Maine Merchant Marine Academy, and the other was Northeastern University in New York. The Maine Academy was pretty much sub- subsidized by the state and the government, and Northeastern had a five-year work-study program. And they met my criteria. And, uh, I, but but uh, Auburn is about 30 miles from the sea. When I was about somewhere between five and eight years old, I got to go to a place called Old Orchard, and I saw the sea for the first time, and it was a stunning experience for me. It uh, it changed my life, and I never wanted to be inland again, and uh, pretty much have been able to do that all my life, on ships and then where I live, also always on the water. And you went into the Navy? Yes. I, when I got out of school, I went in the Navy as a, as a the lowest officer in the Navy, called an ensign, and was on an ammunition ship in New York, and uh, uh, I made my way down on the bus from Maine, and uh, it was over under the Brooklyn Bridge, and when I got aboard, I tried to salute correctly, and a uh, officer of the deck said, take Ensign O'Leary's bag to the navigator's room, and I thought I was going there to meet the navigator, and uh, I found out that I was being assigned as the navigator, so the next day I was up knocking on the captain's door and telling him there must be some mistake, hmm. that I'd done a little celestial navigation, but I certainly wasn't qualified to navigate a great big ammunition ship. And I was stunned when he said, Ensign O'Leary, if the Bureau of Naval Personnel says you're qualified, you are qualified. Huh. And I almost fainted. But anyway, it went on. There was a lot of adventure, <laughs> but it turned out okay. Now, how did you go from there to uh, find yourself on the bridge of the world's greatest passenger liner, the SS United States? Well, 
I that was naval service, and but I what I was primarily trained for was maritime service. So I came gotcha. back, and at the end of the naval service, I was over in the Mediterranean, which I love very much, and I was navigating not just one ship but eight ships, and uh, I loved it there, and the weather's great and all. So I came back, and I was going to uh, look around for a job in the Merchant Marine. I was hoping to get on one of the American Export Four races. But I made, maybe I didn't make the mistake, but I, I, I went to United States Lines first and went in there, and I was uh, being interviewed by a vice president, and he uh, was asking me questions, and I asked him a couple. You know, do you have any ships going to med? And he said, do you want a job or don't you? <laughs> and uh, I said, yes, I do, I do. And he said, if it's a question of money, we'll pay the union dues to get to him. So anyway, I went to work for United States Lines, which at the time was the biggest uh, shipping company in the United States they had 50 freighters and, and two uh, liners. And I, I went to Europe and the Far East. And I, when I went to the Far East, I was on the fastest freighters in the world, which were about 24 knots. And little did I know huh. that when I came back, uh, I got a call and said, would you like to do two relieving trips, relieve a third officer on the SS United States? And I said, yes. So I went there, and uh, it was a pretty thrilling thing. I mean, the ship was incredible and fast and uh, anyway the guy I relieved I uh, never met him never heard him. he never came back and I stayed for five years and crossed the ocean about 250 times on that ship I wanted to hear uh, what the experience was like and what the ship is is like yeah first of all it's associated with a uh, a legend a legendary honor called the blue ribbon which wow. is the um, the honor for the fastest crossing of the Atlantic North Atlantic Ocean right and uh, uh, a man, William Francis Gibbs, who started drawing ships when he was five or six years old, went to Columbia University, never took a, a course in naval architecture, never took a course in engineering. He studied law, but he came out and he started Gibbs and Cox, who designed not only the United States, but 70% of all the merchant and naval ships in the Second World War. And he designed a masterpiece. It, uh, it had more horsepower than any ship ever built. It had 240,000. Prior to that time, the, the, uh, the biggest line, I think, was Queen Elizabeth. It had 120 horsepower, 120,000 huh. horsepower. And it had uh, more watertight compartment, thinking about the Titanic, and right. fireproof, first one air condition, and fast. Wow. I mean, we traveled, most ships go across the ocean 10 to 14 knots. We traveled at 34 knots all the time. Jeez. And, uh, you said that was the first one with air conditioning? Yeah. Wow. Oh, you have to understand, awesome. this was in the late 50s and early 60s, and in those days it was there were about 25 ships sailing across the North Atlantic, and um, uh, they competed from all different countries. But our country never won the Blue Ribbon until the United States was built. And she wanted on uh, July, she left on July 4th, came back, I guess, July 8th, and had set incredible records that were legendary, and, and she would never relinquish, relinquish them. Where is she now? She's laid up in Philadelphia. She doesn't okay. run anymore. Right. She's not very pretty to look at, but huh. they just formed a conservancy to see if they can um, somehow save her as some kind of a monument, and they should, because she's one of the greatest examples of technological prowess this country's ever had. Well, the book is One with the Sea, an inspiring rags-to-riches saga of the son of an Irish immigrant, Richard Daniel O'Leary. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. We really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you very much.
If you want to enjoy all the unedited interviews of Cruise Radio, then sign up for Cruise Radio premium content at cruiseradio.net. Hear all the interviews that don't make it to the show, behind the scenes, off-the-cuff talk with crew and officers, on-demand interviews, and more at Cruise Radio premium content. Sign up today at cruiseradio.net. Just click the premium content icon. We have with us a return guest, Maritime Attorney Jim Walker. You can find him at cruiselawnews.com. Jim, welcome back. Thanks, Matt and Doug. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Very good. We want to talk about this incident back in September of 05, Royal Caribbean's Monarch of the Seas. There was a gas leak. If you could, Jim, just briefly kind of give us a synopsis of what happened. Sure. The the cruise ship, uh, the Monarch of the Seas, came back from a, a cruise to Mexico. And once they were back at the port in Los Angeles, Three of the crew members were fixing a uh, leaking sewer pipe, and they were overcome by what turned out to be hydrogen sulfide, and they uh, died. They died instantaneously. Other crew members saw uh, what was happening and called out for help, and they had an alpha call, uh, which prompted all the the medical staff to respond to the scene. Um, They responded without any protective gear themselves, and as a result, some... 19 other crew members, mostly doctors, nurses, and engineers, all were affected. They became dizzy. Uh, Some passed out as well, and ultimately 19 crew members were taken to uh, local emergency rooms. So it was quite an ordeal with with three deaths. The three men weren't wearing protective respiratory gear either, and then 19 others uh, were affected. And no passengers were affected. No, no passengers were affected. And as it turned out, the Coast Guard and the local port authorities gave the ship a green light to sail that same day that the uh, departure was delayed, but they ended up uh, sailing a regular itinerary. This incident obviously brought on a lot of lawsuits. What's the time frame which most of these lawsuits occurred? The majority of the wrongful death claims, there were three claims filed by uh, the families of the decedent crew members, one from the Philippines and two from Eastern Europe, they were filed, uh, let's say, within six months. And all the other claims were filed pretty much within one year. Uh, And uh, those cases were all promptly resolved. And it is just recent now that the staff captain has has brought a lawsuit uh, to the uh, table, and because uh, he was he was terminated. How long after the incident was he terminated? He was terminated a couple of years after the incident, okay. and then he ended up filing suit uh, within three years, which is the three-year limitation period that you have to file suit in. But gotcha. his his claim was filed long after after the others. So tell us what his lawsuit's all about. Well, he alleges uh, that he was affected by the hydrogen sulfide uh, as well. Um, the, the weak point of his case was that he wasn't sick enough to go to the hospital. Um, but he claims that he was affected. It affected his work. Uh, he was terminated from his work, and then after he was terminated, he filed a suit. So the cruise line is saying this is sour grapes. He wasn't really affected by what what happened to others. The fact that he waited three years has to raise some eyebrows. Yeah, it, it does. And I'm, I mean, you know, even though my job is representing passengers and crew members, I used to be a defense attorney, believe it or not, for the cruise line. So huh. for the first, you know, 10, 12 years, I defended cruise lines. And, and that certainly would be the, the argument I would make in response to his case. Very good. You can find him at cruiselawnews.com. Maritime attorney Jim Walker is always very good to have you. Great. Thanks again. 
we have got to tell you about eTravel Blackboard's first ever O Brochure Cruise Experience Guide. This was put together by one of our frequent guests, Natalie Arroyan, out of Australia. And it's really a must-have for anyone planning to sail out of Australia. Before you go any further, this cruising guide is absolutely free. All you have to do to get this is go to cruiseradio.net and click on the O Brochure icon. There's a lot of great information in here, too. You can find out which ships will be calling Australia home, uh, when lines will be launching their new ships. Tips on packing, port and excursion ideas, information on river cruising. Some great deals are in this guide. This guide is filled with info, and did we mention it is free? It's really perfect for agents to have cruise information at their fingertips or to give to those traveling to uh, or even considering a cruise out of Australia. Once again, this is free. Go to cruiseradio.net and click on the O brochure icon. One of our listeners, David Stern, is with us. Welcome to Cruise Radio. Hello, how are you? Very, very good. Recently, you sailed aboard uh, Royal Caribbean's Explorer of the Seas. That's correct. And uh, where'd you sail out of? Cape Liberty, which is uh, Bayonne, New Jersey, right near uh, Newark Airport. Gotcha. And uh, what was the itinerary? The first uh, stop was Bermuda, Kings Wharf, then on to St. Martin, St. Thomas, and San Juan. Very good. Are you a frequent cruiser? I have been on, this was my 44th cruise. Oh, wow. Very nice. How long was this one? This was a nine-nighter. Now, how was the embarkation process? Yeah, that was pretty uh, quick. Um, when you uh, drive it, you go through into the embarkation building. Uh, it's pretty quick. The lines weren't too long when we got there. We got there, you know, on the early side. And it was uh, pretty good. They take your pictures for the ID cards. And then, but the uh, terminal building isn't exactly where the ship docks, so uh, they have uh, these shuttle buses, which take you on a, like a three-minute ride down to the ship, but it was right. very efficient. Hey, I'm assuming you've sailed Royal Caribbean before. Yes. This it, was, how yeah, did, this was how, my 37th cruise with Royal Caribbean. Wow. So, um, very good. So, they take very good care of you, I would hope. Yeah, they're excellent. They're my favorite. What's the general feel of the Explorer? And I guess uh, maybe, you know, if you want to compare it to the other ships, other uh, ships in their fleet. Yeah, I, uh, this is my, I think, fourth, uh, this is my fourth or fifth cruise on Explorer. Um, I, it's my favorite class of ship so far. I haven't been on all their classes yet. I haven't been on the Freedom class or Oasis yet. Yeah. But uh, it's a very nice uh, ship. It's very clean. Uh, they keep it... Uh, you know, keep it up very well. Uh, it's about, it was, I think it launched in 2000, so it's about 11 years old, but it, it really looks good. Um, my favorite uh, part of it is, is the uh, Royal Promenade, which is kind of like the street that they built down the center of it. They have all the shops and some restaurants and stuff. That's pretty unique um, to some of their older uh, ships. Yeah. So uh, that's very nice. Very, very nice field. Lots of glass elevators going up and down. It's looks like you're in a in a resort, like Trump Tower or something. Tell us about the entertainment. Entertainment was really, really good. Um, they have, it was a nine-night cruise, so they had three shows, which with their uh, staff, uh, Royal Caribbean Singers and Dancers, they put on like a Las Vegas-type review show. Mm-hmm. And we also had uh, three, what they call headliner entertainers. We had a very good uh, singer who won uh, Star Search about three times. We had what they called an action comedian who was a uh, juggler and he did comedy while he was juggling and climbing up all kinds of crazy ladders and things. Huh. It was very entertaining. Huh. It was funny. And um, they had an acapella uh, singing group 
uh, about five guys that were really fantastic. And, nice. um, and besides the formal shows, they had some game shows um, some nights. Uh, they had lots of lounges with uh, all kinds of music and singing going on. They had a really nice pool party one night up by the pool. Right. Singing and dancing, and everyone was up there having a party. And they had a, um, a 70s disco party right on the Royal Promenade one night, which was lots and lots of fun. Cool. How about the food? The food was amazing. I think this was could be the best food of all my cruises. Huh. The, um, the dining room, uh, they've got a three-level dining room. And the second night of the cruise, they served a filet of beef, which is probably the best thing I ever tasted. And the service in, in that dining room was absolutely terrific. We uh, met a head waiter who we had known from previous cruises. He was actually our waiter on a previous cruise. Huh. And he kept coming over to our table every night to make sure everything was going great. And uh, the, it was just terrific. They also have um, a buffet restaurant called the Windjammer, which uh, is, had right. excellent food during uh, during the day for lunches and whatnot. And you could even eat there for dinner if you don't feel like getting dressed up to go to the dining room. You can go up to the uh, to the Windjammer. What about specialty dining? Specialty dining. They have one uh, restaurant on board uh, Explorer called Portofino's. It's uh, an Italian restaurant. We did not actually make it there though. Uh, so I can't tell you okay. about the food per se, but uh, it, was, it was pretty full every night. And the rooms? The rooms uh, were very nice. Um, they tend to be a little bit larger on Explorer than some of their uh, Vision class ships and uh, the Sovereign class ships. We had what they call a larger outside stateroom, which was uh, was all the way aft to the ship. It was like a corner room where near where the suites are, so it was about maybe 25 to 30 square feet larger than yeah. the typical room, so it was very nice. Well, it's good to hear from you. Really appreciate it. And uh, obviously, feel free on your next uh, cruise experience, whether good or bad, feel free to email comments at cruiseradio.net. Uh, Mr. David Stern, thanks for being with us, man. Thank you for having me. Each week, we love to save you some cash, courtesy of CruiseOne.com. Listen closely for these deals. A five-night Bahamas cruise aboard Carnival starting from 209 Seven-night Western Caribbean on Royal Caribbean from just 449 Or sail on one of my favorite lines, Celebrity Cruise Lines, a six-night Bermuda cruise from 449 Or Norwegian Cruise Lines, a seven-night British Columbia and U.S. West Coast cruise from just 409 To take advantage of these deals right now, just go to cruiseradio.net and click on the Cruise One logo. All right, that's going to do it. Coming up next week, Nancy Schredder with the Family Travel Network and Chris Owen, writer for Gadling.com, will be with us covering family cruising in the Mediterranean. If you're an undercover boss fan, that show on CBS this Sunday, July 17th at 9 Eastern, Norwegian Cruise Line CEO Kevin Sheehan, he'll be on Undercover Boss. You'll see him go undercover on Norwegian Epic and the ship over in Hawaii, the Pride of America, so uh, 9 o'clock Sunday for that. If you have not checked out our premium content, do so. This is all the unedited material, all the stuff that doesn't quite make it to the show each week. Just go to cruiseradio.net and click on the premium content icon. We're also on the Stitcher Radio Network. To find more about Stitcher, go to cruiseradio.net and just click on the Stitcher Radio icon. From the Cruise Radio Studios in Jacksonville, Florida, I'm Matt Basford. And I'm Doug Parker. And this is Cruise Radio.
Thanks for listening to Cruise Radio. For information on how your company can reach over 100,000 travel enthusiasts a week, email sales at cruiseradio.net. Find Cruise Radio on iTunes, Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Just search Cruise Radio. I'm your announcer.